Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the inaugural edition of the How to Bet the Kentucky Derby podcast, episode one, preparation. A lot has been made and will be made of the various horses who will enter the Kentucky Derby as well as their chances to win the race. I've long thought that there has been a void in the conversation regarding how to bet the race. Uh, One of my tenets of handicapping is that there is way too much emphasis placed on who will win the race and distilling that opinion to a single choice and not enough discussion regarding the chances of each horses to win the race and how those opinions should affect your betting. And we'll certainly distill that uh, and discuss it ad nauseum, maybe even overanalyze it. To me, that's part of the fun over the next uh, week and a half or so. Uh, But uh, to me, it's not just about picking the winner. And the Derby is unique because it's the one race where, uh, above all others, you want to have the winner. You want to be right. When people say, who's your Derby horse, you want to have an answer. Uh, And the casual fan, the people just tuning into NBC, don't want a dissertation on pace dynamics and all the various variables that go into coming up with 10 different possible winners and their chances for winning. That's what this podcast is for. We all know your friends don't want it who aren't into racing. So we'll try to balance all that. Eventually we'll try to come up with possible winners. Uh, Anyone who follows me on Twitter and social media certainly knows who I want to win. Uh, But how I'll bet the race is going to be slightly different, uh, even if he ends up being my top pick with a bullet, so to speak. Uh, To help me in this discussion for our first podcast is one of Brisnet's Daily Selections analysts. Scott Shapiro is based in Southern California, but he is so adept at handicapping and watching replays and learning horses that he has added Indiana Grand uh, to his arsenal. So looking forward to getting his thoughts. And without further ado, we will bring in Mr. Shapiro. How are you? How you doing, Ed? Looking forward to the next uh, couple weeks. Really starting to get uh, excited for both the Derby, the Oaks, and, of course, the undercards, which are always wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Brisnet, uh, certainly a, a, a tome of tomes of information on both the Oaks and Derby. Uh, workout reports, special selections of what you will be a part of, uh, britsnet.com slash derby for those listening is going to be the spot for all that starting next week. Uh, But this week we're still sort of getting our feet wet, so to speak. We're familiar with the horses. We've watched them run. We've seen the preps. Uh, But, you know, there's still some business to take care of, some final workouts, uh, gallops, uh, morning baths for those who are into that (laughs) on social media. Uh, But for you and I, uh, and especially me, as you've noted, uh, you know, definitely cannonball into the pool, really enjoy talking derby. And this year, uh, I'm more excited than, than I've ever been because I definitely think after four favorites, not saying a favorite won't do well this year. In fact, I hope the favorite does very well. But I'm definitely expecting a return to at least some golden orb or commanding curve into the super that to me is the horse I really want to find. And if I'm wrong about the, you know, one of the top choices, that's just the way it goes. But to me, this is definitely a year where you absolutely need to find a 20 to 30 to one to, to hang your hat on. What do you think? 
Yeah, I agree. I think a couple of things are at play here. Not only does it not look like we have a special horse like an American Pharaoh or a dominant horse over his crop, perhaps in this spot, like a California Chrome uh, or Nyquist at that point last year. But, it, you know, it looks like the favorites will not, you know, definitely will definitely not get that ideal perfect trip. You know, I just watched the Derby a couple out of the recent derbies uh, over the past couple hours to fine tune myself for this conversation and for the next couple weeks. And a lot of the last few winners, not only were the best horse, but they were able to work themselves out the best trip. And I'm not so sure that this year that will be uh, the case. You know, your classic empire, McCracken, two horses that are getting a lot of attention will be, probably have to come from a little bit further off and, and have to get a little bit more of an ideal trip, um, which isn't guaranteed without that tactical speed. So like you said, I'm not necessarily searching for the winner. I'm searching for a horse that I can key in maybe all three spots in the trifecta or a price horse I can key in the back two spots of both the trifecta or the superfecta because I don't think there's anything obvious at the top this year. Yeah, and that to me is hopefully what, what this podcast is all about. And we're going to get a, some different perspectives. We'll have Bruno DiGiulio on tomorrow uh, to talk looking at workouts. Pete Dank will be on next week. Uh, Emily Gullickson from Optics will join us at some point. So a lot of different perspectives. Uh, and to me, I think we'll all, you know, we'll all end up making a pick. Um, you know, that, that goes without saying. But how we come up with ultimately – you know, the chance of a five, maybe even a, a six-figure score, uh, which really is only uniquely you, something you can count on in the Derby and the Derby alone from an American race perspective, uh, to me, is, is part of the fun over the next two weeks. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned Nyquist. And as I said, we had, we've had four straight favorites. Uh, two of those were coupled with, with the long shot that definitely helped spice up the exotics in the, the last two years. That did not happen. Uh, but to me, Orb and Nyquist are especially interesting because by the end of the year, uh, they without question were not the best three-year-olds, uh, either currently or they, they didn't even win the championship of their division. Uh, so to me, you know, if the Derby were in the summer, uh, maybe Nyquist would have been a beatable favorite, but he was still going good last year. You and I both liked Exaggerator. Same goes for Orb. Uh, you know, he was great in the spring, and, and that was that. Uh, you know, this year remains to be seen what happens, but uh, it, it seems like, you know, when we rue the, the chalk fest, really two of those four years, I don't want to say lucky. You know, you need more than luck to win the Derby. You certainly need luck as well. But, I mean, Orb or Nyquist, if, if we rebet the race now, neither would probably be favored. Yeah, good, well, good points, good points, especially Orb. Um, it's really interesting that he was favorite, definitely came into the race well, but to have to do what he had to do in terms of trip, he needed everything to go his way. And it was one of the more enjoyable derby runs to watch, but, yeah, he certainly did not move forward in the Preakness and over the rest of the campaign. And Nyquist was a horse that I saw a lot of in his two-year-old campaign, stood out both physically and, you know, before races and on the track as it just a, more mature horse. And not only did he have a couple hard campaigns leading up to the Preakness, which was ultimately his, his last great race, in my opinion, maybe his best, but he just kind of towered um, over these horses physically early. And it seems like they caught up with him, like you said, so he didn't end up being the great horse 
uh, as maybe an American, obviously American Pharaoh, and even you could argue California Chrome, who won the three-year-old championship that year uh, relatively easily with his performances before and in the Triple Crown Series. I think this year, your horse, Classic Empire, um, to me, has probably the most upside, maybe uh, one or two of the others. But it looks like one of those years where you want to have the right horse at the right time in, in this race and throughout the Triple Crown and maybe not so much the best horse. Because I could argue that maybe the best horse in this race is a horse that I won't include on any tickets but look forward to seeing maybe down the road or at you know shorter distances. Which is Practical Joke? That is that is the <laughs> yeah my my pick in the uh, Breeders Cup Juvenile Practical Joke. I think this horse has tons of talent. I just don't see. It seems as if every race is similar with him. I don't see him being a mile and a quarter horse. However, I do think he has the most talent, perhaps. And I really look forward to seeing him this year, maybe or even more next year at the one turn mile races, especially at Belmont Park. Yeah, he's he's definitely a horse uh, I'm interested in in this spot um, and and going forward certainly the the talents there. But uh, I know you and I both uh, you know love Brisnet, but certainly smart enough to know there's a lot of other information out there. And on the numbers, so to speak, uh, practical joke to me is as consistent as any horse has been this year. More importantly, maybe consistently fast. Uh, McCracken has been pretty consistent, a uh, little bit of a blip in, in the bluegrass, and um, but, you know, he, he hasn't been nearly as fast as the others, and it's going to be a shorter price than many, uh, so that's weighing on me, but, uh, yeah, I mean, with Classic Empire, and I, you know, think back to Orb and, and Nyquist, and the difference with them is the Derby was definitely their peak. Uh, if I'm being optimistic, you know, and it's somewhat confirmation bias, but, you know, the the optimistic person in me says, well, he's actually getting better. You know, the Arkansas Derby is a race he needed, uh, but the Breeders' Cup Juvenile was so good, uh, he might not be to that point yet. And this late into his two-year-old year, some of the numbers people would say that's actually a negative, that you want to see him get back to that, that two-year-old form. So, uh, definitely some questions surrounding him, as there are many of these. A uh, uh, question I wanted to ask you uh, as we get down into inside two weeks now, are you the type of handicapper in these races that get overanalyzed? There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of people talking about it, some, from, some opinions you trust, some you don't. But are you the type that are looking for the horses you like, you want to read good things to bolster that opinion, or are you more the type that if you see something negative, you don't mind being talked off because that gives you a stronger opinion on the horses left? Yeah, the latter for me is the case. Uh, you hear so many good things, whether it be in the workouts, um, whether it be whatever, um, is the, you know, whatever, whatever is the talk of the, of the day. Um, and there's so many positive uh, spins on everything that, to me, those are real hard to take uh, for, for face value. Whereas if you hear a negative, it's, it's, it's kind of off, off the beaten path at this point. If a horse isn't working well or isn't, you know, doesn't look good to someone maybe like Bruno or guys that are real good at doing that kind of stuff, that means a lot more to me. Um, rarely will you see a horse that wasn't training up and performing well before the, you know, the days and weeks before the Kentucky Derby 
when you see that horse jump up and win. Whereas there's going to be a lot of horses. These are the best three-year-olds in the country. There's a lot of them that are doing really well right now, or else they wouldn't have earned enough points to get into the race. So I'm more of a look for the negatives and kind of take that for, uh, you know, use that information to help me eliminate some of the horses that I may be considering. Whereas the positive information I take with a grain of salt. Yeah, I'd say I'm I'm pretty similar. And, you know, we all also have our personal negatives. Like for me uh, today, and, and this might seem a little counterintuitive given all the free passes I gave Classic Empire on the trail, but to me, now that we're inside final works or penultimate works, uh, Gervin missing a scheduled work and not only missing it, it'd be one thing if they pushed it back a day, but now basically we're down to his final work and it's going to be at Keeneland after he was at Churchill trackside. Uh, there's, there's clearly some, some stuff going around this horse and, that to me makes him awfully difficult to like. Not that I loved him anyway. Uh, I did appreciate that he has won his last two preps, which is pretty unique with this group. But uh, at, at this point, to me, those are tough things to forgive. Yeah, I agree. Gervin was a horse that I was kind of on the uh, was kind of you know questionable to me at this point. I like that he's been consistent. One of the things that you mentioned about a couple other horses, he's been consistently putting out his effort, uh, best effort, maybe a little slower than a few of the top ones, but I was, I was kind of torn on this horse. This kind of puts me, as you said, over uh, the edge on him being a little more negative. I could see, you know, maybe including him in a spread, uh, you know, with a key horse or two that you have in the exotics, but it's hard to forgive. And I do admittedly like to use trainers that have had some success or experience uh, getting a horse ready for this unique experience, not only the size of the field, the distance, but the crowd that's going to come with it. Obviously, you know, you think of Bob Baffert first and foremost at this point for being able to be, you know, to have his horses prime for the biggest, uh, biggest race of the year in their eyes in the Kentucky Derby. Joe Sharp, um, inexperienced in that factor. And I'm not saying that's why Gervin, you know, missed the work and had the hiccup, if you will. But generally, when I'm deciding between a couple horses, I'm going to lean towards the more experienced trainer that seems to know uh, the, you know, the, know the terrain, if you will, for the run for the roses. Yeah, especially if uh, there does seem to be a, a hiccup. Or I mean, you know, I, 15 years now, but I go back to Bobby Frankel, who, uh, you know, as good as Funny Side was. Still, to me, Empire Maker, clearly the better horse, especially thinking of a mile and a quarter with, with his pedigree. And, uh, you know, he had issues on uh, the, the days leading up to the race, and Frankel did what he could, but this was a guy who never did win the Derby and, um, you know, may have done some things differently had he been that type of trainer that had that experience. And, um, you know, I think if he couldn't do it with Empire Maker, then... Um, I'm sort of with you. No, no disrespect to to Joe Sharp for sure, but you miss training going into a race like this. It's unlike any other race, and at least half the field is going to fire their best shot. Um, so it it definitely just is, is an added negative. And you know, this is a horse who's going to take money. And as much as we overanalyze the race, I think we're used to so being in a vacuum and take for granted that the casual money is going to see two first-place efforts the last two races, and that gets bet in the Derby. I'm not saying he's going to be 8-1 to one or 6-1 to one or anything crazy like that, 
but that definitely takes money and will regardless if he missed at work. Yeah, definitely. And I thought it was interesting. You guys, um, Twin Spires uh, on the Twitter account posted the win odds uh, to win the Kentucky Derby. I think it was as of last week, if I'm not mistaken. And he was kind of mixed in there with that, you know, with that first tier of horses. So that money is uh, usually sharp money if a horse gets bet down or at least significant money. So while, you know, me and you might not be on Gervin, there certainly is some people that think this horse is both consistent and has what it takes to be there. And, you know, Mike Smith being aboard is certainly going to attract money. He wins enough big races and is a familiar name, like you said, to, you know, whether it's the, the person that bets once a year or once a month or every Saturday and doesn't quite, like you said, follow the works and follow everything as diligently as we do. So he certainly is a horse that, you know, will be used plenty, whether it's in the wind pool or whether it's underneath in the, uh, in the exotics. Is there a horse uh, in this field that you feel like you don't have a handle on that you you are actively seeking information uh, about? I would say the you, you know, Classic Empire is the horse I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do with. You know, I look at some of the, some of the tools that I look at. I do take with you know I don't use as much in the Kentucky Derby and with horses this young like Therographs, like Optic TQ things that I, that are, you know, I find best um, for, for races where they could, you know, they've had experience and, and they're not moving up and jumping up so quickly, but classic empires, you know, third graph and, and ragas and sheet, you know, illustrates to me that he has the up, biggest upside or one of the biggest upsides in the race. But to me that now I'm trying to balance, well, how good was that Arkansas Derby? Can he move forward? Like you mentioned before, did he run too big? In the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, will he never get back to that race? He's a horse I'm really struggling with because it kind of starts there in any handicapping. You know, what is you know what is my opinion on the favorite? Um, and he is a horse I'm I'm struggling with. You know, I didn't necessarily love that he didn't really didn't switch leads in, in the Arkansas Derby, but yet I was impressed with the workmanlike performance with less than an ideal trip. So I'm trying to get him sorted out. I think I have a good feel on the rest of the quote-unquote logical horses at this point, but not him. Yeah, for him, uh, and, you know, you hate to get inside, you know, five minutes on on Derby Day uh, making your final wagers, but we'll talk to Bruno about this tomorrow and hopefully Gary Young later in the week. But, you know, even from a workout perspective, he's kind of hard to get a handle on because he's refused to work before. It's pretty clear that he does what he wants in the morning, and that lack of, you know, clockers talk about it all the time. They're, they they assess consistency or lack thereof. And, you know, it's not necessarily whether they go fast or, uh, you know, how they gallop out, but it's, you know, what they do day to day and uh, does it look like they're improving or not? Are they healthy horses, et cetera? And to me, he's sort of hard to, to get that feel for because of all that's gone on with him in the mornings this spring. All that said... I did note that on ahead of the Arkansas Derby, I saw several comments from people who were at both races or monitoring him before both the Arkansas Derby and the Holy Bull that he looked like a completely different horse, was calm, was not sweating. Uh, now we're dealing with a very small sample size. We're comparing one race to another. But uh, to me, that almost is going to be more indicative than what he does in the morning. And Mark Cassie's already told Horse Racing Radio Network, forget about 
looking for the brilliant pre-derby work, you're not going to get it from him. Uh, so, you know, to me, it might be a matter of waiting for the walkover to see if he's ready or not. That makes a lot of sense. But, yeah, very difficult to do. You're you're trying to already, you know, handicap this race days and weeks out. And, you know, in many cases like yourself, you know, even months out to an extent, at least based on talent. And then to hold everything up to see how a horse that you've only seen a few times in the flesh before a race looks. That takes a lot of patience and a lot, you know, a good eye. So to me, I can't count on my eye to do that. I'm going to have to count on my handicapping ability to do so. And I'm still torn on it. The one thing, you know, that we haven't really discussed at all and might go on this is that, it's a, you know, Julian Le Peru has done a lot of good riding in Kentucky, but his success in this race, if I'm not mistaken, has been limited. I know he's never won it. I'm not sure. Uh, if he's hit the board yeah, off Yeah, it'd be hard to use the word success with his name in this race. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so to me that's another factor. And I wouldn't have – I don't have a problem betting a jockey that hasn't had success in this race if I'm, you know, at a price. But when you're leaning on a favorite um, – but then again, you know, there's riders like Mario Gutierrez that's a common rider out here with all due respect, 10% rider, and he's got two Kentucky Derbies. So – it's oftentimes being on the right horse as much as anything. So he's a horse I'm definitely torn on. And I don't know, like you said, it's going to be very hard to determine. You know how I am, especially with this race. I'm probably, when in doubt, going to lean against not using a horse at a short price in a 20-horse field if I'm not confident. Yeah, and for me, that that horse is uh, definitely always dreaming among the, the ones likely to take money, um, you know, if, if you buy the the Florida Derby, um, he's right there. But uh, I certainly worry. Uh, there, there seems to be consensus that that was a big jump up performance from what he's done in the past. Uh, Todd Fletcher's Derby record, well known at one for forty seven, I believe now. Um, you know, can he get a horse that performed that well? Uh, back to a, a similar peak or even surpass it for the Derby. You know, I, I hate to harp on the one for 47. You and I have talked about he's clearly one of the best trainers going uh, and, you know, is even in the all-time discussion among the greats of the sport. Uh, but, you know, the, the Derby, I look at the one winner, it was Super Saver, very traditionally prepped. Uh, two-year-old stakes winner, uh, just sort of had that, you know, Progression at three, uh, lost the Arkansas Derby, but ran okay, uh, and then came into here, uh, where it's always dreaming to me is sort of that Todd jump up, and then they're in the Derby, uh, and, and those are the ones that haven't run well. Uh, what's your take on him and approach to him as one of the more likely horses to take money? Yeah, he's a horse that I don't think I'm going to include very much, if at all, in any of my wagers. I don't like the fact that he jumped up so much. Like I said before, I don't really lean heavily on, um, you know, thoroughbreds and ragazins in this race like I would in maybe a four-year-old turf race, you know, for veterans. However, he jumped way up, and he did it over a racetrack that I always questioned how it translates elsewhere at Gulfstream. He got a perfect trip that day. He was impressive. There's nothing you can say, and he, you know, to deny that. And he was impressive in the races beforehand obviously not running as fast. If he draws perfectly and gets the perfect trip, I could see maybe him winning, but I'm as concerned about him getting the trip that he did as much as 
a big regression. The combination, though, to me, makes him worth not including at any price that I think he will be. What do you see him seven, eight to one, or you know, with the Pletcher narrative, or do you see him being even lower? Yeah, I, th- I think seven or eight to one is right. Um, you know, he was the favorite in the uh, final paramutual pool, which you know was just to me an overreaction to his Florida Derby win in, in a year that just seemed, you know, everyone was talking about the inconsistencies. And then Irish War Cry won, Classic Empire won the week after that, McCracken lost, but has done nothing wrong since. Um, they had needed one. He had missed training in a race. So uh, I think those that bet always dreaming five weeks out are going to be disappointed uh, with the price come Derby Day because, uh, I mean, he'll still be right there, I think, seven or eight to one, but nowhere near the five or six to one it looked like a few weeks ago. Yeah, that sounds about right to me, and it's a, a big reason why I don't get involved in those pools. I, I've gotten involved a couple times before and even had live runners, but the prices oftentimes are just as good on Derby Day. You don't have to worry about an injury like you did with Mastery or something of that sort. So, yeah, in terms of uh, using Always Dreaming, I think I'm going to pass. And as I mentioned to you, if, if I'm going to lose this year, though, I, I certainly would not mind the Fletcher narrative coming to an end. Yeah, and, and winning would certainly help, although, uh, you know, that's the, the problem when he starts four or five is, is he can win, and, you know, he's still two for 50 or 51 or 52. But, um, you know, two derbies in, in, eight, in eight years, uh, you know, you put that up against almost anyone except Baffert or Lucas and, and then uh, be all right. So uh, I, I'm with you more than I'm against you. This, to me, just feels like the horse that – uh, he jumps up with, and you know, if it were a bluegrass cat situation, twenty or thirty to one, uh, maybe. But is one of the the favorites. He's one I'd be up against. Um, to go on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, not to give away Scully's strategy. Speaking of James Scully, our our colleague here at Brisnet, he told me even when he is compelled to use all in his Derby wagers, he is going to eliminate fast and accurate. Uh, is that a horse you agree would you would give zero chance to? Or, and I know you're not a big all guy anyway, but if you're going to use all, would you, would you still include him, or do you just see him as a cup below, even those who are a cup below? I do see him a cup below, but I would never use 19 horses and not the 20th if it's a price. If I would do be more likely to, to toss always dreaming or you know classic empire if I needed to cut back financially. Otherwise, I think you use, you know, five, six, ten horses or whatever, or you use all. I, I don't, I'm not a believer in leaving one out unless, you know, you're down to your last dollar and there's just nothing you can do about it. So I am not into fast and accurate at all. I don't think he's fast or going to be accurately placed in this race, but um, but I would never leave him out just for the sake of saving a few dollars or making a statement because the price, if he finishes third and you would have hit it, it it's just silliness, you know, um, what it would right. do. To the, yeah, that's, what it would do. that's sort of my feeling. And, and my things get expensive in the Derby when you're talking about, uh, you know, the all button and a super is still 16 or 17 horses if, if you get a scratch, but um yeah, I mean, it, it would be just such a multiplier, and probably the only ones who have it are the ones who, who could use all. So uh, do you agree, though, that he's the least likely winner? 
I do agree with that. Yeah, I, I don't see him walking on the lead, and I think he's he's too slow. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, heading home here, uh, could have run 14 derbies about in the time we've talked. But uh, any other uh, thoughts on your preparations or uh, sort of what the the week before the week of the derby looks like for you and gathering your thoughts and compartmentalizing them? Yeah, I'm trying to. What I try to do, as you know, I watch a lot of replays. I'm trying to rewatch all of the races and in, in, in watching each horse once, you know, individually instead of the race. Either, you know, when I'm when you're watching it and you have it either rooting interest or you're watching the whole race take place, I think it's a lot different than individually watching a horse and just keying on them the whole time. Um, I, I watched some replays this morning, caught a few things, both positive and negative by doing so and just focusing on a horse without a bias in the race. So I think that's important. Uh, if you're one to, to watch replays, it's a great opportunity to try to figure things out. And other than that, I'm really trying to block out a lot of noise. Um, as you mentioned, you're, you know, if you're on social media, you're reading, you're hearing a lot of positives and, and a lot of information. And I think the key is to, to block out a lot of the noise. You'll be a lot more upset with yourself if you end up getting talked off a horse or end up spending a lot of extra money, including a horse that you weren't going to use because you read positives from a couple people that you may respect. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely think that's, uh, I agree, uh, with, which is good because if we disagreed, we'd go over the time and start arguing. But uh, <laughs> I do, uh, I do appreciate the time, uh, Scott. As I said at the top, uh, does daily selections for Santa Anita and Indiana Grand. Um, we'll have some Oaks and Derby picks as well next week. Uh, I'll get all of us out of here on this. We talked about Julian in the Derby. He is 0 for 9 and has never hit the board. Uh, he has a couple fifth place finishes. Uh, my trivia question for you is, do you know who holds the record for most derby mounts without a win? Ooh. I do not know the answer to that, and, the, and I, to think about it on the limited amount of time I have right now would be too much. Right. Uh, well, it's a rider you're probably familiar with, uh, being out there in California. Uh-uh. And, uh, he's, he's ridden one favorite, and that was Serena's song in 1995. Gary Stevens? Nope. No, no you know he won. won the Derby. Yeah, why well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Corey Nakatani uh, is a putrid 0 for 18. It's interesting. They took him off that mount of uh, the, one of the horse long shots I'm looking at, and uh, he was going to ride Battle of Midway, but with the sale, they went to Flavian Pratt, so that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Which I, I didn't know he had believe you think is an upgrade. I just love Flavian Prada. I have nothing against Corey Nakatani. If I knew that stat, I would certainly think it's much more of an upgrade. That, that's interesting. I didn't think he would have had that many mounts to qualify for that for that distinguished uh, honor. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, started in 91. Uh, and 2015, he was 11th on Fermento. Uh, second with Nero is his best finish. And... You know, I wouldn't say he was on any horse who who had to win per se, but um, yeah, 0 for 18 definitely uh, wow. a little, little bit of a matzo ball. Yeah, that's not too good. And you know, that's another thing when you're looking at stats, make sure you're looking. If, if Julian Le Peru was on, you know, eight 50 to one shots, that stat doesn't really mean too much. But if he was on a couple of horses that had a chance and 
you know, you remember him giving a poor ride or two. Maybe he's not the one that's cool under this situation or doesn't have, you know, the, the aggressiveness to, to win a race like this. You know, there's a lot of things you can overlook if you're just looking straight at statistics. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and, and John Velasquez uh, is one for 18 uh, the win on wow. Animal Kingdom. So, it, you know, the, I, I like looking at stuff like that because, you know, people throw the Fletcher stat around and other stuff. And, look, it, it's a tough race to win. It's, I mean, every year it's one for 20. So, you know, it's 5% win to begin with. It's not like, you know, your garden variety day at, at uh, any track where, you know, with an average field size of eight, twelve and a half percent are winning. Um, it's a big difference. So, uh, plenty to to talk about down the road. And Scott will certainly look forward to your thoughts on Twitter and on Brisnet. And uh, put your handle in the description. Got the PPs on there uh, as well. Link to the product, all that good stuff. Uh, anything else? No, I, I look forward to uh, hearing the rest of the series. Sounds like you have some good guests on, and, and obviously I'm looking forward to get digging into those cards. Um, already thinking about you know some of the undercard races as well, and it's just a great two days at Churchill Downs. Yeah, absolutely. All right, spot on, and uh, we thank you for your time. And as I've said uh, multiple times, Bruno DiGiulio will join us uh, tomorrow, talk about uh, looking at works and horses training leading up to the Derby. Uh, other guests uh, on tap, uh, Pete Dank will join us, talk about the THT uh, report that he does with Kerry Thomas. Emily Gullickson uh, will discuss optics. Uh, hopefully we'll have Gary Young on in advance of his, uh, he and I doing a show live at Churchill beginning on Friday. Uh, so lots of good conversation, lots of good ways to approach handicapping the Derby. Hopefully uh, some winning wagers and strategy along the way. Uh, thank you again, Scott, and we'll be back tomorrow.